Who's Walking Into The Office is a podcast about the changing faces showing up at work, how they got there, what gets in the way, and what we can do as a business community to make things better. Up first, Lanex Talent. My name is Josuel Plasenci. I'm the co-founder and COO of Forefront. Our product, Carmen AI, is a career assistant for college students that guides them through the entire job search process. Before Forefront, I was on the other side. I was raised by a single mother in Queens, New York, growing up low income as a person of color and the first in my family to graduate high school. I faced tremendous challenges when interviewing and obtaining employment at some of America's top companies, from Accenture to Goldman Sachs. That's why work matters so much to me. The demographics of the workplace are changing rapidly, and today there are more diverse faces in the workplace than ever before in American history. That said, the challenges in the workplace that come with this change continue to persist. Today we sit down with Cindy Joseph, managing partner at the C-Suite, where she partners with organizations to transform talent and HR programs. She's a former head of America's diversity recruiting at Goldman Sachs and the former North America campus recruiting lead at Accenture. Welcome, Cindy. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Nice to uh, talk to you. Where are you joining us from? I am in downtown Brooklyn. I'm a, a Brooklyn girl. I've lived here most of my life. Nice. I'm a kid from Queens. Hopefully that's all right with you. Yeah. <laughs> it's all love. <laughs> this is cool because I'm interviewing you today, but a few years back you interviewed me at Goldman Sachs. And you've held various senior roles at a few very large companies And that's where I wanted to start, with those companies' written values. And what is the role of those values, those that you see on the website? I ask you because there's an interesting dynamic, right, between what's on paper and what's not. So I'm very curious to hear about your thoughts there. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I... I will tell you, for the most part, I had a really good experience with both organizations that I worked with for the vast majority of the time that I worked at these companies. Um, I did come to a point, though, where I felt um, that my own talents and skills were being used in ways that I, I didn't feel were allowing me to make the impact that I wanted to make. Um, I certainly felt frustration where... Um, other people in particular were not necessarily getting the same type of opportunity and due that uh, I was getting or that other people uh, within the organizations seem to have. But both the organizations that I worked for had very strong cultures, I would say, and strong values that uh, they tried to anchor to. Um, I think the tricky piece with values, and so many companies, by the way, um, are taking a look at, at either how their values actually play out in terms of behaviors and actions or establishing them now. And I'm actually working with a, a couple of my own clients on uh, values creation. I think the tricky piece with values is sometimes they're so lofty and, you know, they, the, again, the intent is to uh, have a, a strong culture where people can collaborate and people can feel like they're uh, contributing to the ultimate vision and goal. But if they're not attached to, well, what does this mean in terms of action and behavior? 
I think the loftiness of the goals gets lost very quickly. And in particular, when you think about diversity and inclusion, if that's listed or included as part of the values, what does that actually mean in terms of the way that people act, in terms of the way that people show up for their peers, um, in terms of the way that people um, carry that out and live that out on a day-to-day basis? And I think if that's not spelt out in terms of behaviors, you have, frankly, more platitudes than than action. I'm not, not sure if that answers your question, but I think that's part of the disconnect that you may see between companies that have values and still yet don't quite get there with the representation piece, right? Yeah, language is really important. And one of the really interesting facts of language is that the same words can mean different things to different people. Absolutely. And that's whether you're looking at a song, a story, or even a company values set. And when that happens, when different people can use the same language and leverage it in different ways, that can go against what was originally intended. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I think the behaviors piece and the action piece is important, right? So if you really do value diversity and inclusion, then I think the action, the behavior is, well, let's take a look at how we do things around here. And does it actually support that for people who need that type of support, whether it's Latinx or any other group, right? Um, And if you don't, if you're not going that far as to take a look at what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, then, you know, it's, it's words to me. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And when it's not action focused and just in theory, some folks have to carry the burden, right? Uh, some folks have to carry more than others. And some can, quite frankly, leverage language just for marketing, right? So, yeah, very well said. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the future of HR. As you look at the last 20 years and you look at the next 20 years, what are you seeing are the trends? Ooh, big, big question. Um, so, so many things. And, you know, in the interest of not uh, taking up so much time on, on our, our show here, I, I think a couple of things, recruiting has for sure shifted quite a bit. Just to give you an example, a quick example, when I first started recruiting, we were still collecting resumes and cover letters in the mail. <laughs> and it was one of my first jobs to open the mail and, and kind of sort through all of the, the resumes. But um, you know, a big one for campus recruiting since you're working uh, quite a, with quite a few students, um, that used to be confined to certain periods of the year. And now what you see is it's happening all the time. It's very much continual. They're overlapping cycles and um, activities happening all at once. And companies are engaging students earlier and earlier in the the academic timeline. So, you know, my running joke has been pretty soon, you'll have the big companies recruiting kindergarten, right? Like who's the next (laughs) so-and-so? You know, um, honestly, it's it's this competitive race to get there first. Um, And I do think there's a point where it can go a little bit too far. I mean, thinking back on my experience, there was a little bit of... Uh, room for me as a, a freshman to just sort of get used to college, get used to my surroundings, figure out and try different things. And in some cases, because it is so competitive, 
the, it's not only the employers that feel that competitiveness. I think the students also feel like if I don't know right away, I'm going to be disadvantaged. And so, yeah. And so I do think it can get a little bit too out of hand, but I would recommend for students in particular, um, you know, I, I begin exploring early, even in, as a freshman. That doesn't mean that you need to know your whole life story and exactly what you want to do, but just put yourself out there and start testing different waters, talking to companies across different industries, go to the networking events, go to the career fairs, just so you start to have a sense for what you might be interested in and what you might eliminate. Um, because it is so competitive. And I think any student who comes into the process having had some ability to talk about who they are in a very compelling way, some work experience, whether it's formal or informal, uh, to speak to as they're, they're doing that networking and as they're meeting companies, um, you know, being part of the action, I think, is a big plus for folks. So that's, that's definitely one thing I see that's uh, changed significantly over the years. Um, you know, I think on the, the talent end, people really want leaders who can be coaches and help them co-create their futures, right? So development isn't only about going to a training class or um, how fast you can kind of climb up that ladder, but really what experiences are you building um, and getting that continuous feedback so that you're constantly improving. Um, when you look at the future, <laughs> I don't know that I can predict 20 years in the future. What does the future have in store for us? Soon? Yeah, you know what I would say? I, I think um, business changes so fast. The market changes so fast. Technology is kind of accelerating the pace of everything. And I think it's actually hard to estimate what are the skills that are going to be needed five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And so I think a lot of forward thinking companies are not necessarily so focused on the exact skill. I mean, you definitely need to have some level of aptitude, but also thinking about people who can show that they are agile and that they're adaptable, that they are curious, they can learn to add to those foundational skills because who knows what skills will be relevant 10 years down the line. But if you're someone who can continually kind of flex and, and learn and build and reskill and adjust, I think that's um, more the person who's going to, um, you know, really succeed and, and grow down the line. Um, and then the only other thing I would mention is uh, thankfully, <laughs> I think, uh, the conversation around DEI has begun to evolve um, and it's evolving beyond what can we do to make underrepresented groups fit in to our culture. And I'm hearing more and more authentic conversations around how do you break down and rebuild those systems that make it tough for underrepresented groups to thrive. So that addition of equity, I hope that this is something that continues to evolve. And, and to be quite honest, we have a long, long way to go. But one of my biggest frustrations over the years with DNI is it's always about, well, how can women be more like men? How can the Black or Latinx person show up more professionally or in a different way? And to me, we should be doing less of that and more of, well, how do we make sure that the, the, the systems, the programs, the way that we assess people for leadership is more about what they can contribute, what can they can bring to the table, um, what's their aptitude versus do they 
look, talk, sound like, show up like, walk into the room like the person who I'm used to seeing in these roles. I love that. I really do. And I've seen it myself as I look at my own story growing up in New York City. As a low-income kid raised by a single mother, as a first-generation student, the mentoring programs I was in, they were very focused in assimilating, right? It was all about what you should look like. And now I look at those same programs many years later, and they've shifted the thinking. And it's a little bit more about what does leadership look like if you were a leader, and what does leadership look like for you? And that's a very powerful shift. A good example that I think about a lot is a cultural example. I'm Dominican, and when I think of the Dominican identity growing up, it was very much about the symbols of the culture. We like dancing merengue. We like baseball. But once you go past that and you dig deeper, right, which is something that I've been able to do through the years, you uncover the complexities that really allow us to have a more fruitful conversation about what is the role of Dominicans in society, right? And that is a very, very powerful shift and narrative that allows everybody to really understand identity and the role of identity at work in a more fruitful way, right? So I really appreciate you sharing that. Let's shift gears once more and talk about how do we best recruit, attract, and bring in Latinx talent into companies. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on the advice that you would share with the HR world around how to best recruit Lanex talent. I would say what I tell people <laughs> all the time, which is um, I think companies often want to start with recruiting. But even before doing that, I would take a look at your internal culture and workplace environment. And just examine, just as we've been talking about, what does it look like for everybody? And on the talent front, are there talent development and assessment initiatives that are fair, that you know, allow people to uh, grow and to move through the organization in the same way? Um, is the environment welcoming and supportive for Latinx talent once they arrive? You know, what's the experience beyond? Hispanic Heritage Month or, you know, um, I think there are offices that still do office potluck and that's like their cultural uh, awakening. And so I would, I would look at the environment first, right? Because without that, all you do is have either a leaky pipeline or people who come in and they're, like I said, disengaged. Um, but as for the actual hiring part, I think there are a few things that would be most helpful. Um, one would be widening the sourcing pools. Um, so meeting Latinx talent where Latinx talent is. Uh, a lot of times companies uh, complain that, well, you know, there aren't enough quote unquote diverse candidates out there. And then when you ask them, well, where are you recruiting? It's sort of the same favorite places that they like to go, the same universities um, or referrals. You know, and refer, you know, which these are not diverse pools of talent, right? I was the first to graduate high school in my family. There was no way I was coming in through a referral. Right, exactly. Like I said, my parents were entrepreneurs. They didn't have those connections um, into the business community. Um, the second thing I would focus on is building a presence and really building relationships within the Latinx community. So particularly where your brand isn't known, it's not enough to dip in and out, right? Um, it doesn't build trust. It doesn't differentiate 
the organization from other companies that candidates may be considering. So you really have to think about how do you show up and be consistent and actually start to get to know people, provide them access, provide them coaching um, and resources that help them show up as their best selves when they're going through the process. And then the last thing that I'm a big, big fan of is structure and standardize selection criteria, interview assessment criteria so that you know what you're looking for. The criteria is job related and you're able to mitigate bias throughout the, the interview process. That's amazing, Cindy. A lot of people would pay a lot of money to hear what you just said. And it reminds me about your point of looking in before you look out It's good dating advice. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so before you say, hey, that you're open for business and that you want to connect with others, just make sure you have a good idea of where you are, right? <laughs> I wish I had had that dating advice 20 years ago. <laughs> Excellent. So let's flip the question the other way around. So I asked you about what companies should be doing to bring in diverse talent. But now I'm curious to hear your thoughts around what Lanx talent should be doing to prepare for these interviews and opportunities. When I interviewed as a young Latino male, the folks I interviewed with didn't look like me. And I'm afraid this is still the case for a lot of folks who are exploring jobs at America's top companies. So I'm curious to know your thoughts about how folks can really stand out during these processes that can be quite tough. And what is your advice for them? Yeah, so to young Latinx talent, I, I would say recognize what you offer to any organization, right? And that's not just your hard skills, but I think look at your background, think about how your identities, your experiences offer perspectives that may be missing and needed in the workplace, right? So there are any number of examples of where people who offering their own insights and strategies that could only be generated from their lived experiences have benefited the organization. Um, I actually just read an article not that long ago about, um, it happened to be a black woman, but I think it applies to other communities as well. She was on the social media team for Popeyes and her influence in terms of how they tweeted and kind of jabbed at Uh, some of their competitors actually started the, the fried chicken sandwich wars, which ended up being a huge, huge win for the company, right? So your voice is needed. And I think recognizing that and owning that is important. Um, and unfortunately, I think there are too many examples of where missing that voice, not having that voice has resulted in great harm, <laughs> um, great harm for organizations and, and for people and communities. So that's number one. I, the second thing I would say is do your part in learning what you can about your areas of interest. So I'd say build your skills, hone your craft, know your stuff, but don't try to go it alone, right? So I'd seek guidance from mentors or even peers who've come before you. That was a huge source of uh, knowledge and um, frankly, even emotional <laughs> well-being and support for me when I was coming out of school. Those people, they've got a lot of valuable experiences that may help ease that path and help you navigate. Excellent. Final question, Cindy. What is your wish when it comes to the next generation of talent who's walking into the office? I'm, I'm really excited about the generation that is coming up. I think 
what we should remember about Gen Z is what they lack in work experience, they may make up in a new perspective, modern way of looking at the world, again, being able to bring who they are and um, have that be a really valuable lived experience that we can all benefit from. So my wish and why I do the work that I do is that the group coming up behind me, they can show up fully as much as they need to in the workplace. And I think when that happens, we'll, we'll all be better for it. Thank you so much, Cindy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I really enjoyed this.